Well, good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, whichever the case may be on this rotating globe. Welcome to another edition, live and uh, Hillary willing, on the other side of midnight here in the land of enchantment. Uh, we have a lot of news to get to tonight, a lot of interrelated things. Remember, the kind of new subtext for the title of this show is Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. All these things happening that appear to some people, well, a lot of people, as if they're all disconnected, whereas in fact our meta-theory is that at a deeper level, these things are in fact really connected, and one of our jobs is to try to lay out how they are, to analyze the trends, to point out the uh, various directions that events seem to be flowing. Uh, I mean, is it an accident? Think about this. We have a, a you know, twice impeached, four times indicted ex-president. Never in the history of the United States has this ever, ever happened. And he's leading in the Republican primary. At the same time, we have serious efforts by nations, separate nations, to go back to the moon and to, at some point, inevitably have to reveal what's waiting there. And they keep mysteriously failing. While, for the first time in the Weather Bureau's history, because 1939 doesn't count because uh, there was no global synoptic weather advisories, hurricane warnings, um, except from the Navy, uh, or, or uh, you know, uh, tropical storm alerts. So for the first time ever in the Weather Bureau's official history, we've got a hurricane downgraded now to a tropical storm sweeping across the most populated state in the Union, California, all of Southern California tonight is under rain and flash floods and mudslides and people in real extremists. And would you believe I've had some people who live in the L.A. area um, who have complained to me that the media is overhyping this. It's like I, you know, visited L.A. a lot, you know, years ago. And it's really laid back. It's like... Uh, it's not as laid back as Hawaii, but it's definitely laid back. And for people who have never gone through a hurricane slash tropical storm, and they associate in their minds those terms with wind, and the winds are just, you know, 40, 50 miles an hour, not 100 or 130, they think they're in the clear. They think they're safe, not forgetting that it's the water that kills most people in hurricanes or tropical storms, particularly if you're in an area where flash floods can occur, but they don't normally occur because the amount of rainfall is 0.01 or something, you know, in a year. And right now they're getting three or four inches per hour, particularly in the mountains. And people will say, because they don't know any better, well, it's up in the mountains. It's not down here where I am in the L.A. Basin. Guys, remember, water flows downhill. What falls on the mountains eventually will reach Hollywood or La Cienega or Palm Springs. Or, In other words, if you're not used to being in a desert 
through an influx of tropical moisture on a level that you have never imagined, let alone gone through. That's why the media has to overhype things, because there's so much going on. Remember, everything everywhere all at once. And you don't know what to pay attention to. So unless you hear something twice, three times, five times, you're probably not going to pay attention to it, particularly if it's out of your entire ken. If you've never gone through what L.A. and Southern California are doing tonight. Uh, Georgia Lambert, who we had wanted to join in the third hour tonight, is not able to be with us because of flash floods and power outages and Internet and all that. And if she still has power and is listening, you know, we called her on Skype if she couldn't join us. I would love to have her, particularly after the first couple hours when I and uh, John are going to lay out a really off-the-wall controversial theory, a model. I mean, if you thought last night was controversial, wait till you hear what I'm going to propose with data tonight. Be that as it may, um, item number one is basically an uh, up-to-the-date roundup of what's going on with Hillary in Southern California. And of course, Nevada is is looking to get some of this, uh, as well as the west part of Arizona. We're overwhelmed by a what's called a blocking high, a ridge of high pressure. So the moisture, all this this moisture in the atmosphere from Hillary is moving up and around. And even David in Canada, in southern Canada, might got uh, you know unusual rains uh, because of what's happening, you know, a thousand miles away because of the way the jet stream is moving and air currents carry. Uh, Uh, the water vapor from this totally unprecedented storm. Now, for you conspiracy theorists, and I know we have a few of those folks who listen, my um, decision point about Hillary, was it manufactured? Was it aimed at Southern California? Is it part of a larger offensive by somebody out there, out there, who does not like us? The fact that it diminished rapidly from a Cat 4 down to a tropical storm as it moved over uh, colder waters tells me that it was a event of the Earth itself, part of the global climate warming model and not part of some artificial interference, which, of course, tells us that this is perchance not the last such event for the West Coast we are going to see. We will, you know, obviously have to wait. Um, so item number one is all about Hillary and everything you need to know. And if uh, you're smart, like Georgia, you will be staying home. You will be drinking, you know, hot chocolate by a nice fire. You'll be, uh, you know, listening to us as we scare you to death with certain things in the next three hours. But maybe not, because there is a very interesting bright side to the, to, to the uh, materials I'm going to present. Again, everything, everywhere, all at once. Item number two. Last night, of course, we had a very interesting and important discussion relating to the Russians and their launching a few days ago of Luna 25. It's successfully getting to the moon, successfully getting into orbit, and preparing for the descent. Well... As you know, last night, something something weird happened. Gosh, weird. 
in this world? Weird? Where'd that come from? Or as my grandmother used to say, who ordered that? Uh, the Russians in the wee hours this morning, I had kind of a heads up through a source. And I laid it out in some emails to uh, our uh, panelists of last night after the show. And lo and behold, Reuters and others uh, confirmed it a few hours later. The Russians seem to have lost Luna 25. Something happened. And this spacecraft designed to land for the first time um, for the rush for anybody actually at the lunar south pole near the lunar south pole if i'm being very particular uh it something went wrong radically wrong and you know when you actually read the uh the russian press release it's it's almost like it was from the onion it's it's so arcanely languaged in tech speak that unless you have a translation you, you first time through you don't really realize wait a minute they lost this sucker now ron ron gerbron who is going to be one of our panelists tonight i hope uh, he's also in the flood zone of rains and all that but he's uh, better situated east of uh, san diego and north um at least that's what he's telling me um if he can join us he will his theory is which i think is frankly a pretty good theory that maybe the Russians in 47 years, based on their own sterling track record of incredible successes in those decades when we were racing them to land Apollo on the moon, with all those unmanned landings, the Lunik series, the Luna series, the Lunacods, the rovers, maybe they actually figured out that the moon is surrounded by this incredibly ancient, incredibly fragmented, incredibly spotty dome, a glass crystalline dome. And they were able to get down through it because they had technology that was able of basically mapping where the glass still is, enough to really, you know, kill you. Um, whatever they figured out, there's two possibilities. Well, maybe three. First possibility is, <clears throat> in 47 years, the crucial institutional memory of the original Soviet space program has been lost. So the current generation, particularly if, uh, you know, the uh, powers that be in the Politburo made what's really, you know, on the moon a deep, 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 dark, deep state secret, and the current guys are not in on the secret, and they assume, like everybody else, that the moon is just a, you know, a 2160 mile diameter ball of rock and dust and craters exposed to, to space. So it should be duck soup to land. Well, if they were of that naive character, based on the Soviet security around this issue, then maybe they were dumb and they built their spacecraft without knowing what was waiting for them. And they, in fact, in their attempts to land, uh, they crashed. And they have given out a kind of a cover story because they realized suddenly, oh, my, so that's the big secret. And they want to get on top of it first, assuming, of course, that nobody else knows what we know. I mean, if they're listening to our show, of course, they know what's there. And they have the means to follow up. So that's the first and second model. The first model is 
they just uh, were dumb. The corollary is the second idea, which is, no, they're smart, but what they've done is created a false trail. In other words, they're claiming they lost their mission. If they didn't really and they land on schedule, they will get vital in situ data on the region of the moon that has never been explored because their mission has gone dark, uh, kind of like, remember Mars Observer? Um, they won't have to share with anybody. Yeah, they've taken a small propaganda hit, but hell, look at what's going on with the war. Putin and Russia as, a, as an institution can't sink much lower. So the fact that they didn't beat the Indians, it's like in the longer term, the bigger picture, if they gain priceless knowledge of a dome with thickening at the poles around the moon and the resources that they were going to be using from the spacecraft to explore those, including uh, a year-long um, duration. The Indian mission is only supposed to last like two weeks, even though it does have a little rover. The Russians were supposed to last over a year. And maybe they decided politically that it would be better to just claim that they lost it when there's no one that can check except maybe for the in, you know intelligence agencies with big antennas uh, of the United States, which, of course, if they're keeping the same secret, they're not going to blow the whistle on the Russians because that will be part of a back-channel, high-leverage discussion. Anyway, all these scenarios are up in the air tonight. All we know for a fact is the Russians formally announced that their mission crashed, and uh, to, on the surface anyway, it makes them uh, look less than I'm sure that a lot of Russians and a lot of Russian politicians would like to look tonight. So that's probably, unless we have, you know, members of the panel that want to add things or Ron wants to add to his uh, model, which is the one I just laid out, that it's basically just a weird cover story. Uh, we will move on. By the way, for folks new to the show, when you want to find where these items are, you go to the banner of tonight's show, which is basically Oppenheimer Part 2. Click on that. That will take you to the guest page. Under the guest page, you'll see a line that says in white lettering, fast links to items. Click on my name. That will take you to my section of Radio with Pictures. And as the evening progresses and other people call on their stuff, you'll do the same thing. You'll click on Barbara's name or Robert's name or David's name, etc., etc. So my item number three. Um, this is very interesting because I want to spend some time at the top of tonight's show discussing Maui. Maui is weird. None of it makes sense. And the problem is that in an environment where no stories make sense, people tend to go for the most sensational and, in this era, the most conspiratorial. So, of course, the standard model is that a wildfire during 80-mile-an-hour winds from a distant hurricane fueled by a high to the northeast of uh, Hawaii uh, led to a super firestorm that basically destroyed Lahaina and the uh, nearby environs. 
Now, that's the standard story. Oh, what, what caused the fires? Well, down power lines. You mix high voltage and ratty infrastructure, he said, living in New Mexico, and high winds, and you get power lines down. Well, California has learned that under those sets of conditions, you turn off the power. You give people warning, you turn off the power, uh, there's no high voltage, no sparks, no grass fires fanned by, you know, extraordinary winds, which, li I mean, I, I saw a statement uh, yesterday or last evening, whatever, that the embers, which are the blowing things that spread the fire, it isn't a wall of fire that moves forward. It's embers blown far ahead of where the main fire is. And in this case, because of the winds and the lofting capability of 80 mile an hour winds, which you can see on a lot of the um, smartphone videos being posted on, you know, Facebook and TikTok and YouTube and whatever, because the winds really were blowing that afternoon and evening. They can loft two by fours, burning two by fours over a mile. Literally, two by four kept aloft by the wind. So we're not talking little grass embers or, you know, uh, pieces of pine cone that catch on fire and blow away. We're talking about houses destroyed by flames. The wind picks up the burning embers from the house, which can include big chunks, bigger than your fist, and blow them miles away ahead of the wind to start more fires. So, item number three, there is a house, which is in the picture, just click on it, it gets bigger, which looks in the middle of the Lahaina destruction, reminding everybody of Hiroshima. There's this pristine house standing all by itself, utterly untouched. And of course, people have fastened on this and they've used it as the linchpin of the most outrageous conspiracy theory of Lahaina and the fires of all, which is that the west coast of Maui was destroyed by directed energy weapons from orbit by baddies. Deep state is, seems to be the preferred, you know, bad guys. And they're doing it to basically destroy people's property, um, in native inhabitants, Hawaiians, who own property so the developers can move in and buy up the land, you know, for pennies on the dollar and then remake the entire west coast of Maui into a tourist haven for high-priced tourists coming from the mainland and from Japan and all over the world. That's the first level of the conspiracy theory, that somehow you've got a deep state connected to heavy, heavy economic interests who want to simply drive out the locals and replace them with super high-priced real estate. And they're trying to carry out the next phase, which is to go to desperate people who've lost everything and offer them money, you know, cash in hand for pennies on the dollar for what their land is actually worth. Uh, there are a variety of other conspiracy theories that get weirder and weirder and weirder. So this, the story of this house, 
I thought was incredibly useful as a means not only of knocking down one conspiracy theory, but showing how you do it. The thinking process, the rationale, the research, the actually digging into the story to see if, sorry, if it holds water. So that's why item number three is up there. And the real story of how this house survived, frankly, is as interesting as it being non-targeted because somehow the owners are part of a deep secret underground cult that uh, called for the directed energy weapons not to be aimed at that particular piece of real estate. I mean, everything, everywhere, all at once. So without further ado, it's about 20 after the hour. Let me introduce our panel for tonight because uh, it's going to be very important. We've got um, David Saritas with us. David has an incredibly eclectic background. He's actually been making technology based on hyperdimensional physics for years. He's produced radio shows, television shows, documentaries. He's been all over um, as many shows as I've been on and probably more. He's been on CNN and on Fox and History and... um, he was actually involved in the uh, old Peter Jennings UFO special back in 2005. He's written several books, such as Evidence, the Case for NASA UFOs, Singularity, Differentials, Face-to-Face with Jesus Christ, and jointly with his uh, wife, who unfortunately is no longer with us, Mona Lisa's Little Secret and God's Great Pyramids. So let me bring David on and welcome you back to the other side of midnight. We've got to stop meeting like this because we, it's been an age since we talked. Like what, seven days? <laughs> well, it was getting so interesting last week where we were going with Oppenheimer. And when you see, the, as you're talking, all these coincidences, I mean, I, I see them as coincidences instead of coincidences, <laughs> meaning it's not. This isn't random. Like we've got the hurricane, we've got the Maui fires, which lined up with the anniversary of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And we had the fires above my house on the same two dates, the 8th and the 9th are when Lahaina burned of August, which again, the the 9th is the bombing of Nagasaki in 1945. And, you know, we've, we've got the hurricane now and we, it's just, all this stuff is coming down the pipe exactly at the same time. and Everything, everywhere, all at once. It, it, it looks designed. It looks so coincidental. Or, 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 and this is why I wanted Georgia with us tonight. We could be dealing with an incredible set of resonance convergences in the physics. Because right. most of, both of our dear ones, your crystal and my robin, from somewhere beyond the glass, from some other dimension... For me, four and a half years, for you, you know, a lot less, have been communicating the cruciality, the importance, the undergirding of everything of this physics. So I do not want to attribute to the hand of men uh, or the closest relatives thereof that which is part of a higher level set of synchronistic resonances which are coinciding with the fact that in the model, the physics on Earth is peaking 
and it wasn't 2012, it was 2016, and it's not a sharp spike, it's a window of time when things converge as part of the background of the vibrational realities in which we are immersed. Well, see, we have... I mean, this this is going to get way out there, but the, the Fermi gamma <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what, ray... before we get way out there, let me introduce other folks. Uh, Robert Morningstar is with us. Robert is our uh, civilian intelligence analyst, an investigative journalist. He does his own shows, of course. Um, he also is a, is a, a degree in psychotherapist, and he lives in one of the most interesting places on the planet, which is, of course, New York City. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff. He's a pilot. He's into photo interpretation. He's a graduate of the Power Memorial Academy. He went to Fordham. He was part of a Navy research project to develop AI itself. And and Robert, when we have the AI show, which I'm quietly working on, obviously I want you to be a part of that. And there's all kinds of other stuff. And you can go to everybody's uh, bios by simply clicking on the fast links to bios which is under the banner on the guest page. So, Robert, are you with us? Mr. Morningstar, are you there? Um, unmuting might help. I hope, I hope. Um, Richard, he emailed that he wouldn't be here. Oh, that's bizarre. Didn't tell me. Yeah, he- no, he emailed you and the rest of us. I did not. I did not see it because I've had spotty internet. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Well, Barbara, <clears throat> funny you should speak up. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Barbara again has a resume which goes on and on and on. The most important thing is that she uh, has the one and only degree in parapsychology from JFK University in Northern California. She was a White House policy analyst under the Reagan administration. Uh, she was involved heavily in the director of the Attorney General's Law Review for the Department of Justice and uh, has been a uh, senior military affairs journalist at the Naval Postgraduate School and, of course, is heavily involved in the search for what really happened on 9-11, being the uh, chairman of the board now <clears throat> and investigative researcher of the Lawyers Committee for 9-11 Inquiry. And there's so much more, but you can go to everyone's web uh, bios at the other side of midnight and read all about that. So, Barbara, we're talking about Maui. Give me your thoughts about Maui. (laughs) Yeah. Can I ask a question? Are we going to do Oppenheimer at all tonight? Of course. Of course. Oh, good. Yeah. No, no, no. This This is actually an important segue. Okay. Very good. No, I agree with you. When I first saw the aerial photographs... Of Maui, my first thought was Hiroshima, Nagasaki. Yeah. Instant. My very first thoughts. And the timing, it's not a coincidence in my mind. And um, uh, I think of it as my very first thought was, oh, okay. Uh, so 9-11 was the new Pearl Harbor. That was the beginning of World War II for the United States. What was the end of World War II? Hiroshima, Nagasaki. Yep. So if 9-11 which was an inside job, a deep state inside job. Yes, it was. Um, Was the new Pearl Harbor. Then Maui sure as heck looked like the new Hiroshima to me. The thing that got me very weirded out about Maui was, first of all, where it is. 19.5. By the way, I meant to add, new Pearl Harbor. 
Pearl Harbor was in Hawaii also, wasn't it? Yes, of course. Just south of Maui on the Big Island. Right. So, so you know, if, if someone is looking to bookend something coming, um, the first thing I noticed was, of course, 19.5. Anytime anything occurs connected to that, I'm very attuned because that's the kind of code key to this whole physics that we have had suppressed, that we're not supposed to know about. The one of my inside sources uh, in the... Um, uh, Secret Service some years ago said that American presidents would rather lose a major American city to nuclear terrorism than give up the secrets of the physics. So if that's your mindset, and we can question, of course, why one would do that, um, then everything kind of falls out of that, of that suppression of basically the foundations of our real reality. Because we're not living well, most. No, I, I have I have to say, having been the senior military affairs journalist for for the Navy at the Naval Postgraduate School, which is DoD calls that the premier science, technology, and national security affairs graduate research university of the entire Department of Defense. For 16 years, I was the senior military affairs journalist, and believe me, I experienced the mentality of people in the military especially the top decision makers, because I interviewed them dozens and dozens over those years. And one of the things that is very clear is that they are in the business of sacrificing lives. That's what they do for a living. Number oh, one, okay, hang on, hang on. We're at the bottom of the hour. We'll but, fix this up as soon as we... One other clause, please. One clause. Churchill sacrificed Coventry in order to save the secret. Yes. World War II. So there is precedent. Yes. Known historical precedent. Yes. Okay. You're on the other side of midnight. My guests tonight, too numerous to mention. Some who are a little late joining us, and we'll add those as uh, time goes on. Yeah, we're kind of segueing into the Oppenheimer Part 2, because via the physics, the two, in fact, Maui and Oppenheimer and the Trinity test here, in 45 and Hiroshima and Nagasaki in fact are all connected if some of this theory turns out to be correct we shall return right after this break
search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership cost $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Support the broadcasters provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back, everyone, on this Sunday night, August 20th, 2023. Lots of twos in there. Uh, Our topic tonight is basically part two of our Oppenheimer discussion, Ray. The the people, the men and women who developed the bomb, the testing here in New Mexico without warning the uh, citizenry that dire things could happen in terms of radiation, which, of course, is consistent, totally consistent with what Barbara said just before the break. Um, let me let me uh, back up just a second. Um, do we have Ron available? Is Ron Gerbron with us? Okay, let me go look at my thing here. Okay. Eh. I do not see Ron. So if we can try to get Ron. Again, he's in Southern California, east of uh, San Diego, northeast, actually. And uh, he may be incommunicado. He said the phones were going in and out, and they did not do what they normally do during emergencies, where every cell phone can attach itself to any tower that there's a signal. Because the companies, of course, keep their towers normally separate so that you pay this company and don't pay that company. But in emergencies, they're supposed to make it all available and apparently for some reason they haven't so uh, ron has not joined us so let let us go back to barbara uh i i want to pick up on the churchill thing because there are a lot of people that don't realize that the whole military mindset is basically based around the concept triage whereas the the excuse for coventry which was going to be bombed by the germans and apparently British intelligence through uh, uh, the breaking of the code figured out that Coventry was going to happen and there were thousands and thousands of peoples that would be under German bombers and the decision was do we warn them um, through what was well called I think chain link home or do we just let them be sitting ducks and the decision was made by by Churchill and his uh, you know staff and, and advisors to basically let the, the bombing go on so the Germans wouldn't have a heads up that now the British and the Allies could eavesdrop on their plans. Um, if you're in an all-out war with basically the fate of humanity at stake, freedom versus fascism, what is the moral decision? In other words, there's that line in Star Trek and one of them, you know, the greater good for the greater number. If you had been in that position, Barbara, what decision would you have made or would I make if we knew all the parameters? Oh, well, um, I haven't run for president yet. (laughs) 
Yeah, but if you're a senior policy advisor, you kind of get used to thinking yeah. along those lines. No, seriously. No, I have thought about it, and I've read many, many, many uh, historical books about it. And the bottom line answer is, it is my informed opinion that if we knew what Churchill knew, if I knew what Churchill knew, I would have made the same decision. Um, I've read a number of books. I think I can't remember the name. Um, one of the very top military people under Churchill wrote in, wrote two very, very important books, and I'll try to find them during the break and see if I can mention it on this show. Otherwise, I'll send it to Keith to add to, to my items for tonight's show. Um, but the bottom line of his two books was that if they hadn't done that um, and the, the Nazis had learned that their code had been broken, that their, I think it's called the purple machines had been broken. Well, this was the so-called... The machines had been broken, um, that, that, that uh, the Nazis may well have won the war. And then where would we be? Well, that's the alternative history, isn't it? Yeah, well, you're looking at death camps. You're looking at, you know, uh, deliberate murder of millions of people, like, you know, the Jews were singled out. An unparalleled runway of horror compared to a sacrifice for a great... In other words, it, these are not super simple moral decisions. They're no, they're not. They're incredibly weighty. And people who say airily, well, I would have done so-and-so... You they, don't. You absolutely don't know. No, no, you don't. Unless you are in the moment, with as full knowledge as you can, and it's never in the fog of war. It's never complete, uh, and you have to make a call because you have to act quickly. Yeah. So anyway, I have felt for a long time, even before my source told me that, you know, our guys would give up a city to nukes as opposed to revealing this uh, technology. But this, but this technology runs everything. The physics runs everything up to including life and consciousness itself and which dimension we're in and if we're trapped or not trapped. In other words, it's it's the whole ball game. So if at the end of the war, the breakaways basically made a deal with the West, you know, you stay on Earth, you rule Earth, we'll take everything out there. And the one proviso was you may not ever share the secret of this physics and this liberation and this capability within the foreseeable lifetime of people on earth and we'll just leave you alone well that seems to be changing though there seems to have been a, a decision to reveal a heck of a lot more well the decision may not be in human or human consciousness Hands. Can consciousness have hands? No, no, no. I'm, I'm talking about the congressional hearings. Right, right. No, no, no. I'm, 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 I'm totally agreed. I'm just saying what may not have been part of that calculation or that ultimatum is as the physics has been changing, conscious people have separately figured this out without it being revealed, without sources. And given the diffusion of information and the independent capability of replicating with all kinds of, you know, commercial technology, look at what they're going to be able to do with the moon with this new telescope uh, for smartphones coming out of France. 
it may be that that operative ultimatum is no longer enforceable at a top-down level, in which case higher-level um, Im, Im, kind of impulse decision-making is impressed. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at Maui, and I'm looking at the... Um, yeah, uh, I have a comment to make. Also. Oh, all right, well, make it before I do mine. Go ahead. Well, um, in response to your question, um, I think it's important for people to realize, I want to give just a, a brief big picture here. What I learned when all those years in the in the Navy. We got three hours. You don't have to be brief. Yeah, well, you know, we've got other guests too, as I always say. Um, but uh, one of the things that's very clear to me from all of my historical research, in fact, I'm basically a military historian. That's what I do. Um, I'm a citizen military historian like uh, Robert Morningstar, who unfortunately can't be with us tonight. He emailed you and everyone on the who was on the show roster for tonight saying that he simply needed to rest. He's been doing too much. Um, so so anyway, the the big picture that I want people to realize is that the military mindset, the higher up you go, the military mindset, you don't become an officer in war unless you're willing to sacrifice your soldiers, your airmen. You don't want to, but you have to be willing. Well, you have to be willing to do what they call acceptable losses, which is a term I've never gotten used to. Yeah, but let me get to my point. Everybody knows that about the officer corps being willing, without question, to obey orders, to sacrifice uh, members of the military. What has changed what has changed as of 9-11 is that this same mentality and the same deep state military intelligence actors decided that 3,000 people killed on 9-11, innocent civilians, were acceptable losses. They were sacrificed. They were sacrificed. And to, to, hang on, hang on. To, Barbara, like Barbara, that. to what end? What was the goal? What was well, the objective? It's obvious. We've had many programs on 9-11. Well, it's so, they, had to, they had to get us into war in Afghanistan and then Iraq. Ah, okay. Okay. That was the pretext. Okay. So people need to understand. I want to give you another example about the mentality of the officer corps in the military. And that is, many people don't know this. It's rather shocking. But it's not shocking at all from the military mentality. It's just we're not like them, okay? But when you realize the way they think, then everything starts to make sense. So another burning example that I like to use is in the, in the practices for the D-Day invasion, uh, which were done on the shores of, uh, of Britain itself, um, Churchill gave the order to his military commanders, to his generals, uh, his admirals, etc., to use live ammunition, to use live ammunition. And many, many, many men were killed in the practice runs for D-Day. So it was really driven home, keep your damn head down. (laughs) Well, that's why you would use live ammo in a, in, a, yeah. in a trial, in a test. 
It's just you need to understand that the deep state will sacrifice you for their goals. It doesn't matter anymore after 9-11 if you're a civilian. And that's the link to Maui. I would agree. So let me go back to kind of constructing my my scenario here for why I'm I'm tending toward the conspiratorial view, even though you can interpret the events in Hawaii as tragic, horrible, benign, and absurd. Well, they're that, they're that also. Say again? They're that also, tragic and horrible. Yeah. But it, it's tragic and horrible if it happened just because of wind and wildfire and stupidity on the part of, you know, the Hawaiian power company. But if it has a deeper level, see, this is what got me. First of all, it was the location, 19.5. The second part, and that you have to actually go to my section of radio with pictures to, to see what I'm talking about. Look at my item number 12. Okay, Barbara, can you do that? Um, it's going to take me a minute to get into no it. Problem, so no problem, no problem. Keep talking. Um, this, I actually made this graphic up because it's come out of the hearings, the UFO UAP hearings front and center during the hearings that afternoon uh, from a firsthand witness who was this uh, Navy pilot, uh, Ryan uh, Graves, I think, uh, who said that his people, his pilots, um, were repeatedly over years now when they try to enter their training range off the East Coast, off Virginia, the planes, the, you know, F-18s, 16s, whatever, kept encountering these clear, transparent spheres in which there was a dark cube. Right. So I put together a graphic showing that a cube is, in fact, two interlocked tetrahedra and two interlocked tetrahedra in a sphere, if the sphere represents a planet, predicts events, upwelling energy events, like Hawaii itself at 19.5 degrees north and in other systems south as well, simultaneously, like on the sun. And when you look at the cube in a sphere model, the latest, and that's the bottom bar in my graphic, the latest seismic data from some really perspicacious researchers using ultra-sensitive, modern, state-of-the-art uh, seismic technology that was basically developed uh, to, to detect nuclear weapons detonated as part of tests during the Nuclear Test Ban Treaty and afterwards. They discovered that the core of the Earth is not a sphere, but it behaves like a cube like two interlocked tetrahedra. So you've got a physics which drives the solar system and drives a galaxy of stars and a universe of galaxies. And it, in fact, is as personal and up close as the core of the planet that we live on. And then it is being offered to us repeatedly over years as a passive demonstration, a very uh, prime directive kind of way of telling us the truth without telling us the truth, as if there are laws of not trespassing and saying in plain English, this is what determines everything. 
but by repeatedly showing our Navy pilots literally in one of the war zone test area just off the nation's capital, um, it seems that someone was trying to tell us, if you figure this out, it is the secret of everything, and they haven't broken the letter of whatever prime directive law they're operating under. Now, <clears throat> this has several major implications. One is, enemies don't do this. You don't give away the keys to the kingdom, however symbolically, if you're trying to destroy humankind. So whoever's doing this, whatever UAPs, UFOs, extraterrestrial civilization, whatever, they're trying to be helpful, but staying on the right side of the law. I mean, these are speculations. But the very weird thing is, when I looked at the latitude where these appearances have been made repeatedly, you have redundancy. Remember, messages to be messages have to be redundant. You have to get them sent or receive them in more than one way. Well, what's the second way besides the ob obvious, you know, cube and a sphere? Well, the second way is where they've been appearing because they've been appearing literally at the entrance point uh, to where the Navy and the Air Force conduct these, these uh, you know, live fire drills off the east coast of Virginia and uh, Maryland. And literally they're within a whisker of twice 19.47 on a geocentric latitude scale, which is a scale measured from the center of the Earth. In other words, it takes into account the mass of the Earth because mass is important in all these hyperdimensional uh, modelings and equations. So it's redundant. They're showing us the physics in a geometric form. They're doing it over years. Like, boy, these guys are really dumb. How long does it take them to get it? Meaning us, the Navy, the military. And they're doing it at twice 19.47 on a geocentric uh, latitude scale. How much more obvious can it be that this is the keys to everything, including how nuclear weapons really work? Okay, I think we should bring in some other folks, don't Well, I'm trying to. Um, obviously, Robert can't join us. David is with us. David, am, am, am I on track of something here or am I whistling up the wrong tree? No, no, you're 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 on to something. It, it is. I mean, one of the things, and and then I will, I, and, and then I will segue back to to Maui. I don't want to lose that train of thought. But go ahead. Yeah, because both with the UFO phenomenon and phenomenon, meaning you know, massive events on the Earth that were mapped by the Princeton Global Consciousness Project, Roger Nelson and his um, eggs, his random event generator eggs. And then when we look at where UFOs come in and out of our dimension, you look at the detonation of the atomic bomb at Trinity site and the intense gamma rays associated with that and the antimatter that would be produced by those gamma rays probably, in my theoretical physics model, opened an interdimensional portal which would explain 
why we now have a case of UFOs and ETs spotted right after the blast at near ground zero. And we also see the Roswell plains of St. Augustine and Aztec UFO crashes on all sides of Trinity. Now, there's another phenomenon that the Fermi Gamma Ray Space Telescope has been spotting, which are terrestrial gamma ray flashes associated with dark lightning that produce gamma rays strong enough to make antimatter. And this antimatter, again, is so powerful, incredibly powerful, that it opens the gateway to what I call the anti, we talked about this in the last show, the anti-universe, where there are anti-matter people and there are anti-matter planets and anti-matter um, solar systems and galaxies. Because, and an antichrist, maybe. Hmm? Right, well, when I say anti, I don't mean it in that way. I, I mean it in what Richard Feynman said, and this this gets into Gary Nolan's last film, The Tenant. If you haven't seen The Tenant, you've got to see Do you the mean Richard Feynman? Richard Feynman yeah. says that the, the anti-electron, which is the positron, which is generated by these gamma ray flashes, which happen um, as a consequence of dark lightning, may be what, what Feynman says is relative to us time is going backwards to the positron for the positron and these positrons are generated in fact fermi gamma ray space telescope has a whole map of where these flashes occur i actually put it in the chat i was kind of hoping keith might be able to put those up there's actually a map there if you look in the chat and you click on my oh that's that image. little uh, the uh, mercator projection Right, so that that's that's a model of where these are occurring in, in in a random. You could call it random. So let's just say this idea that um, gamma ray flashes on the Earth are random. And one thing about randomness, if you understand randomness in physics, is it's very sophisticated order, as Maglitch told me personally and Feynman in his work on the strange theory of light and matter, also found the same thing, that there was no mathematical model that could quantify a repeatable and reliable pattern for the way light or photons, which therefore would include gamma rays, would behave. But yet there is, but yet there isn't, because it appears that the way these gamma ray, what we call a gamma ray bursts on Earth from dark lightning um, behave like consciousness. Wait, wait, wait. What, what do you mean by dark lightning? Well, it's, it's, it's actually, if you Google it, it's called dark lightning, which produces, dark lightning produces what are called terrestrial gamma ray flashes on the Earth, which then generate antimatter that exists for a fraction of a second because it immediately... Well, wait, wait, lightning, as we understand it, is a high... A voltage electron discharge between two areas in the atmosphere that have different potentials. Right, but not all lightning produces what you call um, terrestrial gamma ray flashes. Some lightning that is called dark lightning produces terrestrial gamma ray so flashes. So maybe it's not lightning. 
Well, that's what I mean. Okay, it, let, let, let me interrupt here. I just, you'll see how this ties into Maui, because you'll see how this yeah, ties Yeah, well, into, uh, let me give you another connector. Let me give you another connector. Maui is allegedly an electrical disturbance, and power lines, if they're, because they're conductors, they're like antennas running, you know, parallel to the Earth's surface, were in the presence of one of these gamma ray flashes, they would overload and they would discharge, <clears throat> and you could start a fire. Now... Well, the normal way that high-voltage high lines start fires is they break under wind, they fall to the ground, they arc, they spark, because the voltage is like 100. But we don't know that yet in Maui. We yes, we do. Yes, we yet. do. We have video. Well, well, the, 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 fire chief, the fire chief hasn't shown the, the point where the fire actually started yet. Nobody has shown us. Yes, we have power lines that fell over while the fire was burning, but do we know the first spark that started the first and fire. and will we ever know because unless you're doing live no. satellite reconnaissance you're not going to see until afterwards when the fire is really going where it originated but i do know there is youtube video mm -hmm. people shot out their front doors of the winds i mean 80 miles an hour is is hurricane you know cat one strength that brought down power oh, lines no. and and this one guy videoed the power line is sparking and I saw that. I starting saw that. fire. Do we know? Do we know that's the first fire? That that's what I want to know. Well, because well, and, and the question is, can we ever know? All right. So that that, that is that is part. Well, maybe the military, the recon guys, the geospatial center. You know, the folks that are monitoring. You know, not as Farrow falls, but NORAD doesn't know where it falls. That kind of thing. But are they going to tell us? Hey, we're at the top of the hour. I just have a major piece of news to leave everybody with. I just looked up, because I'd never looked up this before. It turns out that Trinity, south of me here in the Landman Shaman in New Mexico tonight, took place geocentrically, literally, at 33 degrees, which, of course, is a hyperdimensional latitude. It's part of the whole 19.5 equation. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We'll continue with this creeping narration of how these separate, disparate, apparently totally isolated events, in fact, at some level, and not too far down anymore, are connected. We shall return. For listening to this exciting first hour now the second and third hour of the show is available to club 19.5 members only please support the show by subscribing to club 19.5 and join our very interesting community to do that please visit the website the other side of midnight.com and click on the join club 19.5 link in the left hand column as a club 19.5 member you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350 plus shows 
that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out. Mm-hmm.